Today is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. That's a decision, not a feeling. If you're above ground today, warm and breathing is a good day, considering the option. Glad you're here. Welcome to the last in our series called All in the Family. And you're going to enjoy today, and I hope it ministers hope, encouragement, and lots and lots of grace to your life. In many stores, you ladies know this well, you can find a selection of merchandise where you can get a great buy at a reduced price. The tip-off is there's usually a little tag attached to the clothes that always has the same two words on it, as is. Right, ladies? When you go to that bargain, it says, as is. Now, that's a nice way of saying, hey, these are damaged goods. Sometimes they're called slightly irregular, right? That sign is telling me in advance you're going to find a flaw. There's a stain that won't come out. There's a zipper that won't zip. There's a button that won't button. We're not going to tell you where the flaw is. You're going to have to look for it. We know it's there, so when you find it, and you will find it, don't come sucking your thumb, whining, sniveling to us about it. You won't get any refund, no exchanges, and definitely no sympathy. We told you, don't expect perfection, not here. You receive fair warning. If you want this item, there's only one way to get it, as is. Everybody okay? I was thinking, wouldn't it be a good thing if there were a truth in advertising law for people? Those of you that are single, what if dating services, single bars, or churches required every human being to wear a tag that said, slightly bruised self-esteem, or mildly impaired ability to commit? or giant black hole of emotional neediness that will suck you dry. <laughs> if there were a truth in advertising law for people, would anybody ever get married? Uh, don't look, but take a glance at the person next to you. That person is slightly irregular. There's a little tag on that person that says, as is. Don't expect perfection. There's a flaw there, and when you find it, you will find it. Don't be shocked. Well, I never knew when I married her that. Well, I never knew when I married Bob that. What? As is. What are you shocked? Whether you're married, single, got kids or no kids, you got flaws on human beings. Some of Jesus' most famous sayings about difficult relationships are pretty interesting. He says, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. After two cheeks, you're mine. Okay, anyway, but if somebody asks for your coat, give them your shirt. If somebody tries to force you to go one mile, go the second mile. That's in Matthew 5, verse 39. Now, Christians really get it messed up. Jesus is not giving us rules or laws to live by. That's not what he was doing. Many people think these are laws that have to be legalistically observed. He is simply contrasting life in God's kingdom versus conventional wisdom, the way people instinctively respond. He's not giving you legalistic rules. Here's a classic example. Uh, I love this one in Luke 14, verse 12. 
It's a setting where people are at a banquet, and they're jockeying for the best seats close to the, the head table or the guest. Jesus said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So everybody can know today, if this is a legalistic law, that Jesus says clearly, never invite your relatives for dinner. There you go. Now, some of you are going to get to go home and call relatives and say, sorry, Jesus said you can't come to my house for Thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. So is Jesus saying it's a sin to fix a meal for your relatives? Of course not, Looney Tunes. This is not a law. He's contrasting conventional world wisdom with life in His kingdom. Conventional wisdom says, hey, if you're going to do something nice for somebody, make sure it's somebody who can do something equally nice back for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But Jesus is saying that in His kingdom, people sometimes do nice things for people who could not possibly repay them, could never pay it back. I said on my birthday to many people, I can't—I'm humbled. I'm, I'm awkward because I can't pay that back. I can't match that gift. I don't have the capacity for it. It's kind of humbling. It hurts your pride. All of us feel good when we can do something nice for somebody. I feel good. But it really sucks to not be able to do something nice back for somebody. And Jesus said, you want the greater reward occasionally. This isn't a law. Occasionally do something when there's no, no benefit to you whatsoever. He says, what you make happen for somebody else, Ephesians 6, 8, I'll make happen for you. Sometimes you'll forget about your own self-interest and just do it out of love. I gave somebody the other day uh, some cash, and they said, what's this for? That was exactly, what's this for? And I said, nothing. <laughs> Can I have it back? If you want. <laughs> it was, it was, could I ever get it back? With that person, not a chance. It was one of my kids. I ain't never going to get it back. <laughs> I said, it's just out of love. There's no reason for it. I'm not living that way every week, but I wanted to. Are you catching on? So he's not giving out legalism. He's painting a picture of what life in the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. In this world, people seek revenge, but not in the kingdom of God. So to apply Jesus' teaching is going to require discernment, some good judgment, and some mature adult thinking. Jesus wants to form a community of people of changed lives. So how does Jesus teach us to deal with as-is people? How can we create a little community of changed lives at Summit, or in our personal lives, turn a house into a home? This is from my friend Dr. Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist and an author, and it's a formula that says, change requires a few ingredients. It requires grace and truth. Grace is the gift of radical acceptance. Truth is the gift of naming reality. And he says, as is people have got to have both. So let's start with grace, Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 
So that begs the question, how did Christ Jesus accept you? As is, Sparky. As is. No strings, no conditions. You don't have to get better. You don't have to clean yourself up first. He just accepts you, unconditional love. He says, do you mind in my kingdom accepting other people the way Jesus accepted you? Jesus didn't ask me if I'm a Republican or a Democrat. Jesus didn't ask me what my view is on body piercing. Jesus didn't. He radically loved me and said, I want you. And I want moi, me. (laughs) Yeah, you. Yeah, but I messed up. Yeah, I know it. I saw the tag (laughs) as is. I, I I got it. I'm not condoning that, but I want you. I love you. It's really, it really seems it's easier to go steal a car than it is to make me help you believe that. That's what's hard because we want to work, earn everything we get. Uh, and I'm telling you, for grace, you can't work for it. You can't even earn it. All you can do is reject it or receive it. It's that simple. Uh, accept one another the same way Jesus accepts you. Let me give you a beautiful picture of grace. I actually showed the video. I think it was a year ago or something. I'm not sure, but I want to use it again. In southern Ohio, there was a football game, and there's a kid there named Jake Porter on the squad of his high school football team. Jake, unfortunately, suffers with chromosomal fragile X. He's mentally challenged. He loves football, so all the way through high school, the coach allowed him, they sort of adopted him, to work out with the team. He would dress for every football game knowing he would never play one down of real football ever. He could not afford to take a hit to the head. So in the last game of Jake's final season, his coach got an idea. He wanted Jake to at least get in a real football game one time. So he went over and talked to the opposing coach, and he said, look, if the game and the score gets really lopsided, would it be okay if I just put Jake in a game for one play We've practiced the play. He's just going to take a knee. Would that be okay with you? No risk. Anybody will hurt him. Would that be all right if I do it? And the other coach said, that'd be great. That'd be okay with him. So they play the game. There's five seconds left in the game. Jake's team is losing 42 to nothing. It's brutal. It's ugly. It's like a cowboy game. So so with five seconds to go, the coach calls timeout to put Jake in the game. And all of a sudden... From the other side of the field, the opposing coach comes charging across the field, and people are wondering, what's got him all upset? What's wrong? Did he change his mind? But he goes over to Jake's coach, and he says, look, we don't want Jake just to get in the game. We want Jake to score. Now, that meant his team would lose a shutout on their record. Jake's coach says, we hadn't practiced that, only take the knee thing. The other coach says, you give him the ball, we'll make sure Jake scores. So Jake's coach goes back to the huddle, points to Jake and says, Jake, big boy, you're going to the house today. Jake starts jumping up and down, clapping his hands. So the teams line up, the ball gets snapped, and what happens next will go down in Ohio State football history. Jake had practiced taking a knee so many times, he started to go down again. The whole team starts yelling at him, don't go down, Jake, don't go down. Jake's team and the rival team are all pointing toward the end zone. Even the referees are pointing towards the end zone. 
Jake slowly walks towards the line, and 21 players part like the Red Sea in front of Moses. He finally gets it, takes off for the promised land. He runs 49 yards and scores. Everybody on the sideline, everybody on both sides running alongside of him, encouraging him. Jake scored, and when he did, the bleachers exploded. People were jumping up and down, hugging each other. People were crying. I was thinking a lot of boys played in that game in high school, and when they grow up to be old men like me, they're going to forget a lot of details about a lot of the games they played, and they won't remember many scores. But I'll guarantee you not one of those boys will ever forget that moment where this mentally challenged Jake Porter scored the only touchdown. That was grace. Grace says, you belong here. Grace says, you are wanted. You are valued. You don't have to get any bigger, any better, any smarter than you already are. Just be you. That's why sinful people flock to Jesus and still do. That's what good news was. I mean, Jesus would walk around and say to people kind of metaphorically, big girl, big boy, you're going to the house today, even though you're spiritually a deficit and really challenged. And all kinds of people were spiritually challenged in that day. They heard Jesus say, I want you. That's grace. Religion won't do that for you. Legalism won't do that for you. It's conditional. You got to do this and this and don't do that and do this. And then maybe blow yourself up, bow three times. You can be a wicked blankety blank, and, but if you'll bow three times this way, if you'll mix this food, separate that food, don't wear that, wear this, grow a beard, do this, then maybe you'll qualify for eternity. And Jesus said, no, I, I did everything. There isn't anything you have to offer me. I'm going to give you grace. Yeah, but I'm I've been stripping for five years down at the club. I, I don't belong in church. Yeah, I know it, but I want you. You say, well, you're, you're being exaggerative. Oh, really? Rahab was a hooker down in Jericho. She was a leading escort. That's probably $15,000 a day, full service, travel the world, get jewelry. What do you people, what do you think's in the Bible? But he saw her heart. Changed her life. And she's in the messianic seed line of Jesus. If you read Matthew 2, trace him all the way back. Rahab, the escort. I want you. Attack, an extortionist. A, a Bernie Madoff. I want you. I want you. I don't like what you're doing. I want you. You're valuable to me. Most people don't think they're valued. They're just, they don't even like themselves and what they're doing. But Grace says, I want you. You're valuable to me. I, I want you near me. And I thought, what happened to us? How did we suddenly make church Republican or Democrat or white or black or Hispanic, uh, all this crud or uh, uh, nationalistic or rules and regulations and wear this and don't wear that and look like us? We've cloned people. You know, one of my, one of my, one of my mentors used to say, Rick, you can tame a wild duck. I mean, you can tame a wild duck, but you can't make a tame duck wild again. Some of you got tamed. You let religion tame you, conform you. Now, that's sad. All God did with these great people in the Bible, He said, look, I want you to create hell for the devil, not people now. I want to use your passion, your creativity, your willingness to take a risk to make a difference. I don't want to mess with that. I don't want you to be like everybody else. You're unique. 
If two of us are identical, one of us isn't necessary. Go home. So we don't want everybody in blue, in blue suits and brown shoes. That's one denomination. Or everybody with teased hair and, and uh, praise the Lord. All the, the, it's like I belong to that group or that group. It's like gang. Churches are just gangs. You know, we have our, <laughs> we have our own logo, our own signs, our own how we dress. We'll tie it around here. We'll put something on here. We'll put a tattoo on the arm. But basically, it's just gangs. It's the same spirit. And I thought, you don't find that where God changed anybody's particular wardrobe or style. I mean, Moses was, he killed a guy, lost his temper. He still would kill a guy when he was the leader of Israel. <laughs> he, hit, he hit the rock. I mean, you don't want to get Moses upset. Paul was a radical, killed the Christians, throw him in jail, a passionate zealot. When Jesus saved him, he stayed passionate, zealous. He took the fight to the enemy. And I thought, what happened to us? Who took the fight out of you? It's just, you got, you got, you got neutered <laughs> spiritually. That's what happened. Yeah, you got, you got cloned to a religious system. Well, in our church, we don't do that. It ain't about your church. It's about about the kingdom. When, look, I've read that Bible cover to cover, and here's what people will say. Um, well, that's Pentecostal. Okay, Pentecostals might do something, but if it's biblical, it's for everybody. Something as simple as raising your hands. Oh, in that church, one church in our city split over raising of hands because the deacon board said it was charismatic. I said, give me scripture on that. Lift your hands and praise the Lord, everyone. How about clap your hands, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That's Bible. That's not charismatic. Nobody owns that. But nobody thinks. Everybody just memorizes facts. I'm unfortunate. I read the Bible. It's not there, what they're telling me. So I'm always a threat to a system because I'm not going to let you put me in a white, black, or Hispanic system. I'm not going to let you put me in a religious system. If it's truth, it's clear, I got it, and it's mine. If it's not, shut up. Go home. I'm not going to be your boy. I'm not bought and paid for, except by Jesus. So I'm not going to, I'm going to challenge my political party. I'm going to challenge. If it's not right, it's not right. Think. Be your own man. Jesus loves your individuality. You're unique. Don't be a, be a voice, not an echo. Don't sing somebody else's song. Sing your own. Sorry, okay. <laughs> and all kinds of people heard Jesus say, I want you. That's grace. Houses don't turn into homes. Churches don't become communities of changed lives without lots and lots of grace. And people will say to me, oh, did you know who was here today? Do you know what they do? Well, they came. I don't care what they do. God can, I want them here. Who else would I want here? A bunch of recycled Christians? Are we keepers of the aquarium? Are we fishers of men? I love it. Bring them on. I don't care. I'm glad you're here. I want you to feel welcome. Jesus made them feel welcome. The worst thing they could say about Jesus, he was a friend of sinners. He eats and drinks with publicans and bad people. Bring it on, Jesus. I'd rather be with a crowd of bad people who know they're bad, advertise they're bad, don't hide they're bad with a bunch of fraudulent Christians who are willing to kill you over a, a small issue, over some silly, stupid stuff, rather than advance the kingdom. Well, 
Yeah, it's just Rick, I guess. All right. But listen, having said that, it can't be just grace. There has to be truth. Truth makes you free. Makes you miserable first, but it makes you free. Let me show you a father in the Bible who had problems with truth. Eli is the prophet of Israel. He served his whole life as priest. He loved God. He served God. He's a good man. He's got two boys, Hophni and Phinehas. They become priests, but they went bad. They became corrupt. They became immoral. They stole the offerings the people gave at the tabernacle, and then they took the women that came in, slept with them in there, and all the dad said was, boys, you shouldn't be doing this. One time. He could have stopped it, but he didn't stop it. Maybe he thought they'll grow out of it. Maybe his idea of grace meant always being nice, never confronting anybody. Maybe he wants to avoid conflict. I don't know. But he stands on the sidelines and does nothing while his sons destroy everything he's given his life for. They, they bring down God's judgment, and God kills them, and Eli, the father. They ruin everything. And it makes me want to scream, Eli, why don't you do something? Why didn't you speak up? Sometimes people in churches have a problem with truth. They don't want to hear it. Sometimes people are going down the wrong path, and we know it, but we won't say anything. We try to rationalize it. We tell ourselves, well, we don't want to cause any pain. We don't want them to feel bad. And I'm thinking, well, truth that makes you free first is very painful. Anybody ever tell you the truth and you'd just rather not hear it? Very painful. But it's true. I thought it was very courageous on ABC. Elizabeth Vargas confessed that she was an alcoholic for years. Uh, Stephanopoulos, who was her co-anchor at the time, said, Liz, I sat beside you for hundreds of hours and shows. I had never had a clue. Didn't have a clue. She said, my husband did and my kids did. She said, but I was in denial. And in every recovery group, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, sexual, whatever it is, he said, the first key is denial. And they will teach you, and Chris Estes taught me this, denial is not a river in Egypt. It is the inability to confront the truth about yourself. I mean, God can help you, and God will give you grace, but you've got to at least come to the place where you know what you are and honestly acknowledge, I got a problem. And Elizabeth said right there on 2020 or something, I am an alcoholic. And the grace poured in from her co-anchors and sponsors and the network. They got, she got into, she took months off, got into a recovery, got serious about it. Now she's back on television. She'll always be in a group being accountable after that. But the guts it took to confront truth was the only moment her life could be saved and changed. It's not about going to heaven there. It's about not destroying your life on earth, but you have to admit it. And one of the hardest things, I watched that movie with Denzel Washington. He's an airline pilot. And you want to see a good picture of denial and an alcoholic? My God, that is the most graphic I've ever seen in my life and so true. And the only thing that really saved him and helped him was prison. And, and he was thankful for it because it was so destructive. So I've got to have grace, but I've got to have truth too. I've got to be able to look at myself and face the truth. You're a liar or you're, 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 your lifestyle is way, way out of bounds. And even the, the thief uh, that came, the tax collector, bowed at the temple and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He, 
He was truthful. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. I don't know how much he's changed yet, but he's a truthful man. And I honor his ask for mercy. I'm going to give him grace. While the Pharisee said, well, I haven't committed adultery, and I have only been married once, and I, and blah, 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 blah. He said they were never justified. So it's grace, and it's truth as, truth as well. I love the movie, A Few Good Men. Sorry for this, but I do. Toward the end of the movie, Tom Cruise plays a naval lawyer interrogating the commander of a base in Cuba, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson's on the stand being interrogated. It's a very tense, fill moment. Nicholson finally says to Tom Cruise, what is it you want? Tom Cruise said, I just want the truth. And Jack says, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) Now, Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So I have to decide, who am I going to believe, Jesus or Jack? (laughs) Truth will make you free, not a lie. And in general, most of us struggle with one or the other of those two things. So I ask you, do you wrestle more with grace? Is there somebody this week you're going to have to interact with who will cause you to struggle with grace? Or do I withhold truth from somebody? The same Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. But that same St. Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you admonish everyone with wisdom. That's the truth part. It's not condemning, it's admonishing. Now, there's a ministry of admonishment that helps all of us turn a house into a home. Remember, truth hurts, but you're not going to grow without truth. And remember, it can't be truth without grace. A lot of people do truth-telling recreationally, and they're what I call grace-impaired. They usually go to churches. You know what I mean? One day Jesus had a group of religious leaders come to Him, and they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of—we caught her in the act of—I thought, how did you do that? They set it up. They got one of our boys to get one of the girls. They set her up. They were ready. Ha-ha, grab her and drag her out naked. What happened to the guy? He didn't even get mentioned. Who's the dude with her? Nothing. No, this is a whole, these guys don't care anything about this woman at all. She's just a, a pawn in their little scheme to try to trap Jesus. And they came with this woman with stones, big rocks. And they said in John 8, verse 4, teacher, this is so hypocritical. What shall we do with her? Now, they don't care about her. They knew the law. They had a lot of truth. They had no grace. You ever get a stone in your hand, a judgmental attitude? God owes me because I've been so faithful to Him, nothing bad should ever happen to me? Self-righteous? I need to put this on record in case I ever forget. If my life ends today and everything goes in the toilet, it's been the best ride I ever had. I honestly tell you this, I never thought it'd be this good. I never thought I'd go this far. And if God never does another thing for me in my whole life, He's done way more than I could imagine or deserve. I know it. I'm sober. I know it. I'm just letting you know. I know it. I hope you know that as well. Well, the world owes me God. He doesn't owe me squat. He picked me up out of the trash pile just like you and gave me unconditional love. He owes me nothing. Some of you have a flat tire, and God's judging me. 
slap you. No, idiot, you ran over a nail. God doesn't make covenant with tires, batteries, stupid Texas drivers. That just happens. Seriously, but the first thing most people do when they don't know grace is condemn. Well, this must have happened because in high school I did drugs. Jesus on the cross judged himself for your judgment. It's already been paid for. There's no record of that. Sorry. No, you got in bad traffic with a bad driver. You ran over a construction zone. You got nails in your tire. Sorry. Call AA or somebody. Come get you and fix it. AAA. Oh. Okay. I don't know. Call somebody. Help me get this tire changed. I don't know. But watch it. I've, I've heard people in here do it. Say, so where did we go wrong? What have we done wrong? What if you did nothing wrong? God doesn't judge you if you're a believer. There's no judgment. There is no judgment, no condemnation to those in Christ. Stop that. It's not there. You can make a foolish choice, but that's not judgment. That's just consequences of a stupid choice. You say, that was a bad choice. That's right. That wasn't judgment. That was just stupid. If God judged you, He sends you to hell. You can't pay that price. So stop that. That goes on in church. See, churches have just ruined Christianity. You know, I think about churches I grew up in where people were so small-minded and uh, not all, but cold, really cold. They didn't dance. They didn't laugh. They had very little capacity for joy. It's interesting. Some of you actually think, or maybe you're watching by live stream, you think it's a holy moment because everybody's frozen. You read the Bible, and it's clap your hands, shout for joy, praise Him with the dance, praise Him with uplifted hands. And it's like, where'd that go? Oh, that's Pentecostal. No, that's Bible. That's Christian. They just happen to have it, but it's mine. It's not a denomination. It's a biblical truth. And if God says they're shout for joy, there can, church ought to be a noisy place. It really should. It's a noisy place. Don't get quiet. Uh, in the sense that if it sucks, it's just a bad day. The music's bad and the sermon's bad. I understand quiet. But don't be quiet because you think it's holy. It's not. Anyway, those churches had very little capacity for anything like that. But one thing they did well was passing judgment on other people they regarded as spiritually inferior. Somebody's kids got a little wild, so they'd pick up a stone. Somebody's marriage wasn't working, they'd pick up a stone. The worship leader would choose the wrong kind of a song, they'd pick up a rock. Somebody crossed a line, somebody violated a code, somebody had a problem, word would spread, and those people started picking up rocks. It's weird. It seems that gathering rocks energized these people. It pumped them up. It was like a shot of caffeine. They came alive. They looked forward to it. Kind of made them feel good. But it won't make a home and it won't make a church. So Jesus said to the people who brought this woman in, John 8, verse 7, yeah, well, the law says that. Let the one that's without sin throw the first rock. And they all left church that day. <laughs> they all went away. Then he turned to the woman and said, uh, where are your accusers? They transferred their membership, Lord, to a more fundamental church. And he said, good. Does anybody condemn you? No, Lord. Now, imagine this woman. She's probably scantily covered, maybe naked. I don't know. 
Women had no rights in those days. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now, that is incredible grace. But then he says, verse 11, now, sweetheart, I'm not here to condemn you, but now you go and sin no more. Stop shacking up. He loved her, but he says, this is not good behavior in the kingdom. It won't bless your life. Get, get control of this and stop it. So it was unradical acceptance, but it wasn't blind that says, you need, you need to work on that. That's not good. You've had five husbands to one lady. <laughs> I mean, that, was a, that was pretty wild even in the Old New Testament. Five husbands. And the dude you're living with now is not your husband. He says, but he loved her. And he didn't condemn her, but he was able to change her life. He'll change your life. But it doesn't start without grace. That's why I want to let people come in unconditionally. You know, whether you're climbing a pole or you're still dealing drugs or whatever, I don't know. Or you can't stay out of somebody else's bed. God can help you. He, look, he saw the tag as is. All right, a flawed garment, but I want you. I love you. You're valuable to me. Come to me. I want you. And boy, people need to hear that in the world. That's what drew them there. That was the good news. Then let Jesus fix up people. Let me tell you something. I'm 70 years old, feel great, but I am still, I know it's hard to believe, I'm still not sinless perfect. I know, I know, don't choke. I know it's hard to believe. I don't glow in the dark. I've been tempted to cuss, but I felt it was an appropriate moment to cuss. And I, you know, I've had negative thoughts and bad attitude and maybe a wrong choice. But here's, I've never doubted for a moment. God was crazy about me. Not a, I've had my children and probably some of your children let me down. But the radical love was right there. Never, never went anywhere. And it never went anywhere in your life as well. And if you don't know that, you'll live tormented all your life. You'll always feel unworthy. You'll feel God won't help me. God will bless them because they come to church. do this and this and this and this and this. Nonsense. He's crazy about you sitting right there. Yeah, but I got to get out of here, Rick. I dance at 2 o'clock on the pole. I said, <laughs> he'd probably like to liberate you from that. But he still loves you. He's crazy about you. He says, I want you. You're valuable to me. Come to me. I can work on the pole deal, but if I can... But nothing's going to happen until you get a piece of your heart, really. I think the people just really have trouble handling that. And yet that's, that's the real world. So he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. No condemnation, just grace. I close with this thought. On two occasions, I've had the wonderful privilege to speak at an African-American convention. African-American Church of God in Christ. That was one of them. And a few of the churches. I have never, ever been in a group of any people in Christianity that were more responsive than this group, ever. And I love the feedback they give you as the participant when you're, when you're preaching. Now, if you're doing good, Lord, there's your, whoa, preach it, brother. Come on, come on. Yeah, that's right. Tell it like it is. That's it. Yeah, uh-huh. Amen. Everybody's loud. I start feeling like, man, I am somebody. I, whew, I can do something. 
And if it's starting to suck and not doing too good, you help him, Lord. Help him, Jesus. Help him, Lord. Right, Percy? I'm telling the truth. I'm not making this up. I was thinking, as a closing thought, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we as a Christian community could flood people with grace and truth? You know, when people are doing good, we'd let them know and cheer them on and say, yeah, brother, uh uh-huh, come on, you are right. And when somebody's not doing good and they're messing up, we'd say, help them, Jesus. Help him, Lord. Help him, Jesus. We love him. Help him. And not pick up a stone. Can you say amen to that? Let's all put the rocks down. Rocks don't make anybody better, don't change anybody, but radical love and acceptance will. Don't Listen, you can't change anybody. Only God can fix people. All I can do is be a courier to say, Daddy told me to tell you you got good news. He wants you in the house. Come home. Come home. I know you're messed up. He'll fix you up. Come on home. And I, I just thought, that knocks me out. That no religion on earth can tell you that. No, you got, you got to have, you can't, you got to have fish on Friday. You got to wear this. You can't wear that. You can drink this. You can't wear that. You can go there. It's like, what? What? It, it's like, it's like their God is up here saying, do your best. Maybe if you can get up the ladder, you can see me. If you do enough stuff, whatever. Wear enough, look stupid, do this, don't eat that, watch out for this day, put charcoal on your forehead, do this, do that. <laughs> Wear a hat, cut your hair, long hair, no pants. And here's what our God says, you're pitiful. There's no chance in hell or heaven you can get to me. I'll come down to you. I'll come down to you. I'll do what you can't do, and then I'll bring you where I am. That's the beauty of the gospel of grace. That's the alluring attraction of Jesus. Not your political view, not your moral view, not your personal issue on Christmas or Bible code or the rapture. That's not in the Bible as an issue. That's not what drew men to Jesus. I doubt they even knew. Nobody had even written about it. So it can't be the heart of the gospel. It's just good news. You know, you want to you make me tender? Be nice to me when I don't deserve it. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. I want to be a better man. I don't deserve it, but I want to be a better man. What drew me there? Judgment? No. Mercy. Mercy and grace. And nothing else is going to change your life. And Jesus is full of grace and truth. He doesn't just give you a little grace. That's what He is, grace. You need mercy? Cry out for mercy. Well, you old devil, you're in trouble now. Now you just think God's going to rescue you. Yeah, call out to Him. A thief dead on the cross. Worked pretty good for Him. Better late than never. Not the best way to live. But even at the last minute, the guy said, I am reaping what I sowed. That's truth. Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I'm sorry, folks, you can't make that complicated. That's the best news in the whole world. Share that with people. Tell them what God's done for you. Don't give them theology. Just tell them, here's what I was. Here's who I am. Here's what God did for me. Wow. Skip all the theology. Nobody cares about that but a theologian. Theologians have been described as blind men in a dark room looking for a black cat that's not there, and they find it. 
For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.